0: I'm Candace Long with Lessons in the Latter Days, offering biblical commentary to make sense of the times that we're living in. Today's episode is Return of the Nephilim, Part 2. This is a difficult topic. Friends have encouraged me for years to share what I have learned in some 30 years of research. I'm very selective about my information sources, and today you may hear some disturbing things but I will give you source references so you can examine things for yourself. My goal is not to frighten listeners. Rather, the Lord warned us that these days were coming. I want to inform what the enemy of our souls is planning to do so that we will know how to pray and how to navigate a time period that no one has walked before. The other day I got a news report on my phone with this headline, Ex-UFO Pentagon program chief outlines compelling UFO theories. Now, Luis Alessandro detailed three leading theories on where UFOs originated and how these vehicles operate outside of our understanding of the laws of physics, such as instant acceleration, hypersonic velocity, low observability, and the ability to fly without wings or even engines. Now, experts don't want to say out loud what many people are thinking, namely that these vehicles may come from another world. In Luke 21, the Lord told His disciples, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs. From heaven. Jesus told us this so that we would not be alarmed. He said in John 14, Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. I go to prepare a place for you. We have to hold on to that. So, what is really going on here? Why create this kind of media buzz about UFOs? Who really benefits from talk of strange vehicles and alien spacecraft? I believe the motivation is to instigate fear and insecurity in the masses, and this is the work of the final kingdom that the Hebrew prophet Daniel tells us about. The kingdom where nations come together to establish the new world order. This is what is forming before us. But before I break out these passages in Daniel, I want to say this to anyone who may be saying, Why bother? The enemy is too strong. I might as well give up. That is the wrong attitude and not the intent of this series. God responds to the cries of His children. That's why the two episodes on repentance are so important. In this episode, you're going to see where our leaders and our countries have opened doors to forces they had no business opening. When we see the wrongs that our nation has committed against God, our responsibility is to repent. Let's look at the book of Daniel that describes this final kingdom because it connects with the Nephilim that we discussed in the last episode. If you're not familiar with Daniel, let me provide a brief backstory. When the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed and Judah was overthrown, the Hebrew prophet Daniel was taken captive to Babylon and assigned to serve in King Nebuchadnezzar's palace. Now, Daniel was just a servant, but God had a special assignment for him. In Daniel 2, we read about an image that the king saw in a dream, and the dream troubled him so much that he searched throughout Babylon for someone who could interpret its meaning. Now, Daniel's reputation as a dream interpreter eventually got noticed, and he was brought before the king. And Daniel said to the king, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the mystery which the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. You saw a great image, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its breast and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. The wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found, but the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Many scholars have written about this dream and its interpretation, so I will not cover it in detail here, but the consensus of Judeo-Christian thought is that God lays out in this dream the kingdoms of world power that come before the kingdom, the messianic kingdom which destroys all the others and fills the earth. What are these kingdoms? Number one is the head of gold, which represents Babylon. That's why the dream was given to the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. The number two kingdom that came next, the silver breast and arms, was Media Persia. Number three, the belly and thighs of bronze were Greece. Number four, the legs of iron were Rome. And the final kingdom is represented by the feet and toes, partly of iron and partly of clay. Now many scholars see this as a revived Roman Empire conglomerate that is different from all the other kingdoms. In other words, it's an extension of the fourth kingdom because it contains iron. But it is different because it is mixed with a whole other ingredient, clay. It is this final kingdom that I want to focus on here. I call it the kingdom of the toes, a divided kingdom made up of ten kings represented by the ten toes. In Daniel 7, the prophet describes this kingdom using the terms different, diverse, terrible, dreadful, and exceedingly strong. In this last episode, I told you that the Hebrew word for different or diverse is the word shenah, which means altered or changed. I believe Daniel is telling us that this final kingdom will be genetically altered and mixed, which is the mark of the Nephilim, half angel, half human. In speaking about the Ten Toes, Daniel writes, And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, nor shall its sovereignty be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all the kingdoms and bring them to an end. I want to suggest that this final kingdom that Daniel writes about is the alliance that is forming now under the banner of globalism, referred to as the New World Order. Let me share some of my research with you. It is found in a monograph by Dr. John Coleman called The Global 2000 Report, a blueprint. For global genocide. In 1979, Dr. Coleman received a copy of a massive secret society document commissioned by the Club of Rome. It was written by Cyrus Vance after Jimmy Carter accepted it as U.S. policy. This report was based on the study of the Earth's resources and population growth. Now, who commissioned this report? The world's most wealthy and powerful people, referred to by such names as the elite, the Illuminati, or a term they often call themselves, the Olympians. The objective was to create a blueprint to get rid of 2.5 billion people by the year 2020. This elite group, or Illuminati, which means illumined or enlightened ones, believe they have been divinely entrusted with the stewardship of all of the world's resources. Now, let me quote a description of the Nephilim from last week's episode. Quote, As an elite class, the Nephilim, half-angel, half-human, intermarried within the family to maintain their angelic bloodline as Nephilim. Their goal was to own and rule the earth. I read Dr. Coleman's report, and it is alarming. It proposes genetic manipulation of viruses and experimentation upon unsuspecting people to find the right methods to get rid of the billions of people they consider useless. It advocates lowering birth rates through abortion and the adoption of homosexuality as a way of life since no children are born from these unions. Helping to spread genetically engineered viruses will be the ever-growing numbers of immigrants and homeless people whose malnutrition will contribute to spreading disease even more. Their goal is a new utopia where 5% of the population rules the remaining 95%. This is what is forming before our eyes, and it is what Daniel describes as the final kingdom before the day of the Lord. When I first read Dr. Coleman's Global 2000 report years ago, it included dividing the world into ten economic or political regions called kingdoms, which would manage and control the world under a common leadership. I believe these ten kingdoms are the ten toes of Daniel's prophecy. Let me name them as they were listed in the original report. Number one, North America. Number two, Western Europe Number three, Japan Number four, Australia and South Africa Number five, Eastern Europe Number six, Latin America Number seven, North America and the Middle East Number eight, Maine, Africa Number nine, South and Southeast Asia And number ten, centrally planned Asia, the latter two referring to today's China. I reported in the last episode that Titans were a tribe of Nephilim that lived during the time of Abraham's grandfather. These Titans were worshipped as gods, and they divided up the world into geographic areas in order to dominate and rule the earth. Sound familiar? The spiritual force behind the New World Order is not Jehovah. The source is the head of the fallen angels, who in turn are energizing the Nephilim, masking as the most powerful people on the planet. Globalism is happening so fast today that it is tempting to conclude that there is no hope to turn things around. But I believe that wherever there is breath, there is always The awakening to acknowledge before God where we have done wrong and repent. As you may recall, God was about to destroy the wicked city of Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire in the 8th century BC, and Jonah heard the warning. God then sent Jonah to broadcast the warning along with a message to repent, and to his surprise, the leaders heard Jonah's message and humbled themselves before God to such an extent that he lifted the wrath of judgment, and he spared them. Now, I need to explain here that none of these things that I've been talking about have the power to harm our nation unless we have somehow opened a door to the enemy. Proverbs 26 says that a curse that is causeless does not light. The enemy must have legal cause to come against a person, a family, a city, or a nation. So if we appear helpless in the face of this, we have to look for the cause. Is there an open door where we have sinned as a nation? Once we find the open doors, our next action needs to be genuine, heartfelt repentance. Our Jewish forefathers called this teshuva, and teshuva has the power to close the door to the enemy and move the heart of God on our behalf. So I encourage you to listen to the two podcasts on repentance, to get on the same page with God as to what this spiritual discipline requires. During the remainder of this episode, I want to name one of the doors I believe the United States has opened to the enemy. And if it's not closed, I believe we would be at a point of no return and we could witness the fall of America. One door that we've opened is creating and embracing genetically modified foods, or GMOs. Let me explain. A GMO, a genetically modified organism, is a combination of something God made and man engineered. In the days of Noah, Mixed organisms were the order of the day. One plant species mixed with another, one kind of animal mixed with another producing all manner of hybrids. Angels with women producing a whole other race. The fallen angels were known for their scientific prowess in genetic engineering and they passed that forbidden knowledge down to the Nephilim who are passing this knowledge down to this generation as it was in the days of Noah. Mixed seed is abhorrent to God. It is a total disregard for the laws, statutes, ordinances, and precepts that the creator of the universe established in the earth. Let me describe four examples of how we have disregarded God's ways. Disregard number one is called the law of the seed. This law is foundational on so many levels and especially relevant in the whole transgender discussion. I'd like you to picture a corn seed in your mind. Now, to briefly summarize this law, every seed in its original form, like this corn seed, has three basic parts. Number one, the seed coat that protects it from the elements. Number two, the fleshy tissue provides the nutrients the seed needs to sustain its growth. And number three, the embryo contains the genetic material that broadcasts what that seed is to become. To give you an example, this corn seed does not have an identity crisis within itself. It was created purposed and destined to be corn. Inside the seed there is an inherent peace and rest because it knows what it is. This is a seed as God has created it. There is no mixture in God's mind when he created the seeds that form the building block for all of creation. Each one was given a name and a purpose. To play God and do what we think is best with His creation is outside of His created order, and it is a grievous sin. The gender confusion we are experiencing now is because we have opened a door here that was never meant to be opened, and we are reaping the whirlwind. Disregard number two is the law of the kind. This basic agricultural principle is found in Genesis when Moses wrote the phrase according to its kind 17 times in seven verses. This is significant. God commanded everything to multiply according to its kind. Honoring the kind is a principle we have not only ignored but have attempted to destroy. The Hebrew word for kind means to portion out as a species. You see, God had a set assignment for everything by way of an amount and an apportioning in order to balance the needs of nature that he established. The third disregard is the law of the purity of the kind. God requires that everything be pure with no defilement. Every seed was to be without blemish. Now, the word in Hebrew for blemish refers to a physical or moral blemish, and seeds with blemishes were to be destroyed. Every kind was created to feed, instruct, benefit, and nurture God's creation. Disregard number four, the forbidding of mixing kinds. In Deuteronomy 22 and Leviticus 19, we read what God thinks about mixing DNA. You shall not sow your vineyard with two kinds of seed, and you shall not let your cattle breed with a different kind. God is a purist. Just as each of us is unique, each kind has its own light, purity, understanding, and purpose. So to honor the kind is to honor God. To throw the Old Testament rigidity out the window is a grave error for which we are held accountable. Now, what about eating GMO foods? Unless we have a plot of ground and grow our own food, the reality is that most of us are forced to eat whatever is in the stores, and most of that food has been genetically modified. Now, if you really want to get at the truth, we have turned our backs on the very first job that God gave us in Genesis 2, which was to have dominion or to be in charge over the ground and our personal food supply. Now, some people may say, well, I didn't start this GMO problem, so I have to eat whatever they sell in the stores. Surely God understands that. No big deal. To God, this is a big deal and is producing horrible consequences. Now, the United States is far from being the victim of this GMO craze. On the contrary, we are the leading GMO food producer in the world. So if God has an issue with mixing seeds, then we should be quaking in our boots because we are complicit in exporting genetically modified food to millions of people. Consider the dangers of multinational food distributors. We have basically given over our supply chain largely to multinational food distributors who bring in food from God knows what country, whose ground may have been dedicated to various gods. This could well be a whole other door that we have opened to diseases and moral perversions. In Galatians 6, Paul wrote, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. So before we close, the main question, what can we do? I want to suggest three things to you. Number one, repent. We must repent for letting this happen on our watch, and ask God to help us return to a way of life that regards things that matter to Him. I encourage you again to listen to the two podcasts on repentance. This is an important spiritual discipline, and it's much more involved than just saying, I'm sorry. Number two, cover ourselves and our children with the Lord's protection. It has never been more important to walk closely with the Lord, spend time in His Word, and ask for His protective covering. I start every day reading Psalm 91 out loud, declaring the Father's promise to keep the plague from coming near my dwelling place. And number three, take practical steps right now in what you eat. Here are four ways to protect your family against a mixed-seed environment. Number one, buy organic food whenever possible and shop at stores that carry non-GMO foods. Number two, supplement your diet with healthy vitamins and filtered water so as to keep your immune system healthy. Number three, stay away from pharmaceuticals as much as possible. And number four, invest in growing your own food and becoming more self-sufficient for the hard times that may lie ahead. If you want to refer this program to others, you'll find it on my podcast page under resources at candislong.com. Another helpful resource is my monograph called Mixed Seed, which goes deeper into this topic and includes all of my source material. You'll find Mixed Seed in my online store at candacelong.com In closing, I want to remind you that if we belong to Jesus, we are not to fear. He said this time would come and that he would never leave us or forsake us. If you don't know whether or not you belong to Jesus, please let me hear from you. There's something I'd like to send you. I'm Candace Long. I want to thank you so much for listening. I hope you'll join me again next time for lessons in the latter days.